Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Well, I think we've decanted for long enough. It's time to sit back and enjoy Two Sharp Reds with Mark Schwarzer and Ollie Geel. I almost start every week with almost a laugh because I get so excited like a little schoolboy. The fact that it's my favourite time of the week, of course, it is the time where myself, uh, Ollie Geel, gets to open a bottle of wine with my favourite Arnold Schwarzer. How are you, Arnie, today, mate? So what is it, Arnold Schwarzer, uh, Mark Schwarzenegger, what, you know, what are you coming up it's, with? I'm, so I'm assuming, that, 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 so you sent me a clip from your Marconi days, the guy hosting the sort of, you know, in the change rooms, um, you know, behind the scenes called you Arnold Schwarzer, yeah. and I've never seen you look so uncomfortable in your life, it was way before you were so finely media trained with Optus, that's 100%. Yeah, it was, I was my, my wife actually saw it, and, and she saw it first, and she said, you've got to watch it. She said, it's hilarious seeing that first clip, you you feeling almost, you know, embarrassed, uh, found it very awkward, uncomfortable. And yeah, she she's probably right. Well, she's definitely right. That that was yeah, that, that was very true. It was quite funny, reminiscing that was the that was the ninety uh ninety two, ninety three season with Marconi. Uh we went on to win the league. Uh, obviously as you watched the video, you saw it, um, which was was brilliant. Great times. Here on the Two Sharp Ritz, if you're a new listener to the podcast, we, of course, like to try a new bottle of the Burgundy Grape. Uh, this week, Mark, um, we're going for a different, uh, sort of slightly different technique, which will be interesting, of course, towards the end of the episode where we compare the wine to a player past or present, because for the first time ever, we're trying two different wines. Yeah, well, it's a bit too difficult these days, isn't it, now with isolation, that we're able to actually try the exact same wine. I think we've run out of those options. So yes, you're right. We're going individually, and mine is mine is. You'll actually be very impressed with this one. This will this will definitely tickle you. It's a Shiraz Malbec, and on on the um, front of it, it's the House of Fun. Tease your senses, it says, and it's tantalising, lip smackingly good, voluptuous, blushing fruit. How good is that? I mean, if there was ever a description as just as to me, I mean, this is this is the Oligil wine, voluptuous and you know, and, and you know, what, perfect. you know what? I just this very moment noticed. I've just noticed that it's got MS as its main initials, and it's incredible. I've just seen it right now. How brilliant Mate, is that? It's made for me. That is meant to be. Check that out. Well, I've gone for something way less exciting than that. We've already actually had a strand of it before. So this is the 19 Crimes, which is one of my favourite uh, from Australia when I was in Australia, but I've been really excited to, to learn that it's, um, you know, over the last maybe five months been really prevalent over here in the supermarkets. But I think we had a, a different, yeah, we definitely did have a different 19 Crimes. So um, I'll be interested to try this one. This is 2018. And a reminder, if, you've, if you have had 19 Crimes before, this is a really good thing to do. Get the 19 Crimes app and then hold um, – it's got, like, you know, one of those QR codes. Yep. You can hold it up against the logo and it'll tell you what the guy on the front did to be sent from England to Australia. 
During this episode of the Two Sharp Reds, we'll also hear from a very special guest, Mark. And uh, before I forget, this did make me laugh. Uh, when organising uh, the, the time to do the podcast with our, with our special guest, I said, mate, do you, do you like red wine? And he said, oh, wow, to be honest, I, I don't really, but there's one that I drink in particular. And he sent me a picture of the bottle, and it's, it's uh, uh, spelled L-U-C-E, either Lucy or Luci, Luci. And I said, oh, that sounds great. I'll see if we can get a bottle for the episode. Mm. <clears throat> Put it this way, I think I'm going to be struggling to get it at Audi. That's all I'll say, Mark. <laughs> These footballers are an expensive taste. I don't know. <laughs> Terrible, aren't they? Just, they just give us all a bad name. Uh, so let's get on the way with a, a little bit of the news that's sort of come around in the, the last seven, day, uh, seven days Sorry, uh, since our last episode. One thing in particular, Mark, without going into any headlines, isn't it amazing at the moment during this time with no sport how much news you can get through in seven days? It's incredible. It, it almost feels like by the time we record this episode, you could forget about the last five days and just focus on the last two, because there's so much happening. Well, that's what happens, isn't it? People are in isolation. People have got so much time on their hands. They're finding things to talk about. They're, there's a lot of subjects of topic. There's, you know, obviously we're talking about, is the league, are other leagues going to start? Some leagues have already said that's it. They've cancelled the rest of the league. They've halted it. Uh, positions are final, which opens up another can of worms. I mean, the legal ramifications, which we're already finding out in France, is a big issue. Uh, it's amazing. We see now the Premier League, you know, can they agree with a, a restart? Can they agree with a format? It's it's an absolute minefield. So you spoke, you said two words there that caught my attention in particular in the news. It was the restart and the format. Yep. So, I mean, lucky dip, where would you like to start? Let's, let's, we could go with, with the format because I think would be, is an interesting topic in, in the sense that they're talking about going to Australia. Which where do we where do we start with it? I can't see it. I mean, I know I know in Australia they've had very uh, far fewer cases than anywhere else. Firstly, would the Australian people want a whole lot of people coming over from the UK, potentially bringing the the the, the, the virus with them? Then then no one can go and watch the games anyway. You you can't go visit players. You can't go watch them train. And there's these all these isolation issues. I, I, I would think that's just madness. Why would they go out to Australia at all? It's, it surely, it's a logistical nightmare as it is. Why wouldn't you just try and do it on home soil, which they will? I just think it's an idea that's been, been put out there and it's created more headlines. It's created something more to discuss about, but I just don't see it happening. Listen, in Australia, they're not playing AFL. They're not playing A-League. They're not playing Rugby League. They're not playing anything at the moment. Um, let's hope that all returns sooner rather than later. And you don't want to be mixing with, you know, what is it, uh, another another whole lot of teams coming over from from uh, from Europe, another another twenty Premier League sides. Why would you want that? Yeah, I, I understand that, um, but if the government feels like they've been putting put their, you know, they've been putting their citizens in the best possible position to be able to move forward, financially, you would make the argument that you know every country has lost an insane amount of money in one way or the other, yep. and if you know, if you know certain states and and the prime minister feel like they could house you know the the athletes and the staff and and do so in a pretty you know uh, safe environment, and then off the back of that somehow regenerate some some money, it, it might be a really good thing to look for from an Australian perspective rather than from a Premier League's. The question is though, if if you could play a Premier League 
well, the remainder of the Premier League season, say in Australia, that means that all the other codes can actually start playing. Where are they going to play? We've, you know, in Australia, we have limited numbers of grounds, and most of them, if not all of them, are shared. They're co-shared. They're co-shared with other, other, other teams in the same league or with other codes and multiple codes. So I actually just don't see it being possible. I don't see it physically being possible that you would bring, you know, I think there's, what is it, there's, there's a whole, I can't even tell you the number of games left. I think everyone has, um, what is it, nine games each and possibly even ten, depending on, on, on uh, the team. So I, I just can't see it. I mean, another, uh, was another nine rounds of games. So you're talking, it was that 90-odd games. Yeah, um, I mean, we're assuming, obviously, as well, they they would probably have to change the format into pump, you know pumping it out in a um, a bit of a round robin type situation. So you wouldn't be playing you know all of them on the same day, for example. Um, but the the positive side to the other codes. So the AFL CEO Gillan McLaughlin has come out with a, a bit of a strategy to get things back underway um, by June. And they're looking at fly-in, fly-out approaches. There's hubs. Um, so if you go and play all your games from a Premier League perspective in Perth and the West Coast Eagles and Fremantle vacate the Optus Stadium and are based in Adelaide, you know, for, for the four weeks that the Premier League might need it. I mean, that, 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 that's an argument that you could make. Of course you could make it. But I just think also the financial ramifications... You know, football clubs, all sporting clubs, every business, every industry is hurting at the moment. So the financial costs of uprooting an entire entire league, because that's what you're doing. 20 teams, you know, you're talking 25 playing staff, and then you're talking that and more in, in other staff that go along with it. So, I mean, the, the, the costs that are involved, I just don't see it being financially viable. For, 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 for all these clubs to spend that much money to go all the way out to Australia. Listen, the, the biggest debate at the moment is if they're going to play in certain venues, a limited number of venues, the biggest question and the biggest argument for all these teams are the loss of home advantage and particularly the teams that potentially face rele- relegation. And, 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 and at this time of the season, under normal circumstances, within the last sort of nine games of the season, home ground advantage is massive. And if you look Brighton, for an example, Brighton have both Manchester teams, they have Liverpool, and I think they have Arsenal still to play at home. Under normal circumstances with a full house, they have a chance. However remotely one would argue they may have, they'll have a chance. With no crowd and, and say, no home ground advantage, it almost goes to, you know, 95% no chance. So I, I, I fear for it. I, I, I understand also why teams don't want to lose home ground advantage. The flip side of it is we're not going to have crowds in stadiums for, for, for a long time yet. So is playing at your home ground with no fans an advantage? I think there's a slight advantage. I don't think – I think it's very marginal. With no support, there's, it's a very marginal advantage. Well, you, I suppose you've got things to consider like travelling distance to the stadium. That would play a role. Um, if I mean, I don't know about Brighton, as you touched on, but let's say um, from the other end of the spectrum, if you're Arsenal, I know that the turf that they use and the, the curators there are exceptional, maybe the best in the world. And if you're potentially used to that 
on you know week in week out that that is an advantage for a team um so you you mentioned the the team the, the bottom six have rejected the restart project from the premier league are you surprised that the top six haven't made a complaint in a sense you know i i understand that there's different ramifications um one would say that you'd almost rather miss out on a European spot if the other alternative was you were relegated. Oh, that so I understand that, but still, geez, let's not forget that before this break, Liverpool was starting to be really wobbly. I mean, yeah, okay, they they've got an insane lead, so or it's almost null and void even discussing this. But teams' forms will change, yes. and if you're in the race. For either the to get out of a relegation zone or to win the league, or to get a Champions League spot, not having a crowd or a home field advantage of any kind, that's massive. Yeah, but listen, let, let, let's not be in the bush. Liverpool are going to win the league if they resume. There's no doubt in my mind that Liverpool won't win the league. They only need to win three more games out of their remaining nine. Um, they, they've been far and above the best team in the league this season. Yes, they did wobble a little bit. They wobbled... Listen, the bar is extremely high. What Liverpool have produced over the course of the last 18 months is pretty insane. And their wobble of late is actually a good run of form for many other teams. (laughs) So, you know, we we are splitting hairs in that regard. Uh, But for me, Liverpool are going to win the league if they resume the league, no matter what. So if they play away from home and they play at home, I don't think it matters. I think that they're in that. Well, they they were and they have been the best team by far. So let's see what happens. Um, is that going to change much? I don't think so. Not for them. What it could change is the likes of Chelsea uh, or Man City. You know, depends. You know, Man City. Uh, I still think Man City are equally as good away from home as they are at home. I don't think that changes very much. You know, you. Spurs, Arsenal. Listen, you talk about Arsenal and their pitch, and arguably the best pitch in the, in, in the world, right? Has it helped them? Has it helped Arsenal? No. no. You answered it. No. So then, okay, then, so you throw caution to the wind, say that these games are then going to be played in Australia for argument's sake. Uh, are, players, are players excited about this, do you think, if that, if that decision was made? So then you go, all right, we're all, we're all in the same boat together. We're going to be playing at the same stadium, different days, or whatever the system might be. Um, but that home field and away field sort of advantage is almost taken away for everyone no I think they'll be dreading it I reckon they'll be hoping that it doesn't doesn't come into fruition uh, you know this is the thing right what people don't understand is and you met you touched on it you said about pitches you talked about Arsenal and how good their pitch is right and, and you're right the grass is different the pitches are different very very different in the northern hemisphere as they are to the southern hemisphere there's a massive, massive difference in the hardness of the ground, the type of grass, the way the ball f- moves. Everything about it is different, and that's an adjustment. I, I, I mean, pre-season trips, players, you know, we've done it, teams have done it. I was there when Chelsea were out there a couple of years ago in 2018. You know, it, it's all fine. Pre-season is all fine. Nothing's really riding on it other than a bit of pride and, and so forth. Uh, preparation for a new season, absolutely fine. To play there week in, week out, or to conclude a season where so much rides on it, I don't think there'll be a club in the league that would be happy with that. I mean, I played lots and lots of games for Australia, obviously, uh, and also in Australia. And one of the things I hated about it was that coming back, playing those international games, you would play on whether it's 
ANZ Stadium, whether it's Sydney Football Stadium, didn't matter where it was, if there were an, a, a rugby league game or a rugby game on beforehand, a couple of days beforehand, or had been regularly played on it, the goalposts holes are right in the middle of the six-yard box in one of the worst areas. And what they do is they put a cap on it. They put either a bit of turf, extra turf on it to protect it or a cap on it. And it's generally raised. If a ball bounces off that, it does all sorts. It, it shoots off. It does an extra bounce or it stays low. It's a nightmare for a goalkeeper. That whole area is a disaster. The, the, the type of grass, often the pitches are marked still. They've got all the advertisement on. They've got lines still on from other games. And, and we're talking, say we're talking in June, when, the, when all the other codes are back playing again, that's going to be the same. All these stadiums are going to have all these markings from all these other codes being played on it. it it's a, it's a I, I just, I don't see it being possible. I, they've got more chance of concluding the league in the UK than they are anywhere else in the world. So it interests me thinking about when you were playing as well, if you, you throw into the mix yourself, Timmy... Harry, Viduka, you know, you've got a lot of people in the Premier League or in the highest division where they're going to do everything to make sure the pitches are in the best possible, you know, situation for, for their players, right? So did it frustrate you all when you'd come back to Australia? And in a sense, did it feel like they weren't taking it seriously? Oh, no, no end. It frustrated the living dialects out of us. I mean, we used to complain all the time. And in the end, it was like... It's just, it's a fact of life. There's nothing you can do about it. And and the issue a lot of us had all the time was, one of the biggest discussions we always had was that football people are not making those decisions on where games are played. They are made by people who are pen pushers, people who are, who are, are bean counters. All they're thinking about is how much can we get out of games. And I remember having these conversations with various people within the organisation and say, why are we playing in this stadium? We know there's only going to be thirty or 40,000 people coming in the game. Why are we playing in an 80,000-seater stadium? Why are we playing in a stadium that's it's, it's, it's like an oval stadium where they play AFL out of it? You know, we know we're not going to fill the stadium. It looks bad. It feels bad. The pitches are terrible. Why are we playing in it? And they said, well, because we got offered this amount of money by the state, by the state government. We got offered... We got offered um, an opportunity to play in the we've got a contract we need to play so many games uh, for the year in these and we we just wanted to play it they didn't think what is the schedule who are else who else is using that ground I, AFL using I played so many games for the national team where the day before there was a rugby game or an AFL game played on the pitch or a rugby league game and it was a nightmare absolute nightmare all the markings everything and all they do is they paint they paint like green paint on it and it was a disaster. I've, I've played in... So, I mean, you can ask so many different Socceroos how many times they played on terrible pitches. For Rugby League and AFL and, and Rugby League, it doesn't matter. The ball is predominantly in their hands or in the air. You know, it doesn't matter about the, the condition of the pitch itself. For football, it's imperative that you have a good surface. And those guys, because just because of the way they play and, the, the, you know, hitting the ground all the time, I mean, they, they tear grounds up. And they're playing so many games on it. If administration had nothing to do with it and you were asked, like the players were asked, right, you're playing in Melbourne, you either play at the MCG or you play over the road at Amy Park where Melbourne City play. What, which would you Nine, 99.9% of the time we'd say Amy Park because it's a proper rectangular stadium that 
31,000, you'll be packed to the rafters every single time you play there. Okay, it's different. If you are playing in Japan, I think we got around 80,000 people at the game. I understand then if it's a massive, massive game, you, 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 the final game before you go to the World Cup, I understand you're going to play in a different ground. That, I don't have a problem with that. But when you're talking about crucial World Cup qualifiers, you're talking about important games, players' livelihoods rely on it. You know, dreams, the organization's livelihood rely on it. All that was always was done was a short-term view. It was never a long-term view. It was never, let's create this environment whereby we're playing a good team, so we're going to play in a stadium that only holds 30,000 30, or 40,000, and we're going to be sold out weeks before. All of a sudden, it creates this demand, this euphoria, this, this, this complete panic. I can't get a ticket. Why can't I get a ticket? And the other thing they used to say to me was, what well, the reason why we play out of a big stadium, whether it's the MCG or ANZ Stadium or whatever it was, they could charge more, 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 more dollars per ticket. And that is so short-sighted. They would rather have 20,000, 30,000 people at an ANZ than at, because they would receive more revenue than, say, playing out of an Amy with 30, 31,000 packed to the rafters. So it was nothing about what was best for the team and what was best for the country moving forward in terms of creating the right atmosphere, the great, the best environment for the team to succeed. It was all about dollars and cents. That's all it was. Halftime drinks are on the two sharp reds and it couldn't come at a better time, Mark, because I could just sense... I mean, I'm just looking through the webcam there, you're getting a little bit sweaty talking about that. I can see that it's certainly one thing that I might have hit a bit of a nerve there. Ah, uh, yeah, I used to do my nutting all the time. A lot of us used to have these conversations. We used to always bring it up with various board members um, at the FFA. Um, it was so disappointing. And then you come back, you know, all these guys, all of us played in these amazing facilities, amazing pitches, amazing stadiums around the world. And then you come back to Australia, and don't get me wrong, there's some amazing stadiums in Australia, and the people do their best. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. To get them to the best condition they possibly can. But there was very, very little consideration of condition, the right timings to play in which stadiums and creating the best atmosphere and giving the team a proper home ground advantage. I certainly know from a media's perspective, you'd rather at the MCG because, geez, they've got better wine there. They just do. I don't care what anyone says. They just do. How are you enjoying yours? Of course, uh, this is the first episode of the Two Shap Reds, Mark, that we've gone for slightly different wines. So we're experiencing different flavours. Um, I'm Obviously, oh, I absolutely love the 19 Crimes. It's one of my absolute favourites. I would say it is the Swiss Army knife of wines. It is just offers... It, it can be used in any scenario. And, and that's what I like in terms of, you know, if you were going to a barbecue or if you were going to a dinner to impress your partner's parents, you know, you could, you could bring that and it would tick every box. It, it's, it's the perfect wine for any occasion. That sounds really nice, mate. But I, actually, I just, I mean, I, I'm fine like I'm on a mission to pr- try and broaden your horizon when it comes to wines. I mean, you, you keep going back to Australian wines. And, and that's not a bad thing. That's a great thing. That just shows you how good a quality Australian wines are. But listen, we're in England now, right? We're in the, 
different part of the world. You've got to start to broaden your horizons a little bit. And I am going a little bit left field. I'm going a little bit towards the southern... I'm, I'm mean, going to the southern hemisphere. So my wine's actually a South African wine. Um, oh, I like it. Yeah, so it's, it's, this is the delicious blend of Shiraz and Malbec grown on the sun-drenched slopes of South Africa's Western Cape. Now that is... Uh, have you been to South Africa? I have, oh, yes. The... 2010 World Cup, mate. And oh, yeah, 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 so yeah. <coughs> I don't mention. You would have tried any red wines. I, but I may have. I may have. I stayed about three or four days oh. longer after the uh, the World Cup with my family. We went to the Nelson Mandela uh, Memorial Mu- Museum. Went to his house where he lived in Johannesburg. Uh, went to yeah, the. I, I think it's the Freedom. Is it the Freedom Museum? Uh, I think it is um, that we went to, which was amazing. Um, went to went to Soweto. Um, Again, you know the, the kids there, the group. We, we were we were very honoured to be having a performance put on for us by by the people of of, of the of the uh, the community. It was amazing. Um, it was one of the few times we had a lot of police with us that the police were accepted and and invited into also the community, which was really really nice. Um, it was it was a it was a nice experience. It really was. I reckon South Africa's World Cup ball was my favourite. Really, Apple. really. The pattern of it, oh, I loved it. Well, maybe Absolutely the pattern, but it. You, have you ever played with it or felt it or kicked it? Yeah, but I'm assuming the version that I bought from Kmart probably. No, no, no. It was probably the same. It was probably the same because really? it literally was like buying a ball from a a service station. You know those old plastic yeah. blow up things that you kick them and they do all sorts. <laughs> that's I think what. That's, that's why I liked it. It felt very soft. Oh, it was, ter- it was a terrible ball to play with because you didn't know what was going to happen. You kick it, and sometimes it would just keep going and going and going. Other times it would go up and down straight away and then bounce and then kick off again. It was so unpredictable. It was a goalkeeper's nightmare. I hated the ball. I think, so, yeah, I think that's what it, you hated it. But I think if you're a striker. No, but a lot of players, a lot of players didn't like it either because they, they couldn't even play a square part, like a, a, a diagonal. Or, or, or a longer pass, well, they could play it, but they wouldn't. The consistency wasn't there. Are there not some rules around having the same bladder of the ball, and then the, the, what's on the outside? I think there, are, there, are, there, there is a kind of there are guidelines. I don't think it's it's particularly specific. There's, there are guidelines and there are rules in terms of diameter, um, size, particular. Uh, I don't even know if there's a number of panels that it must be, or a minimum or a maximum. I'm not really quite sure. But I know that the ball received so many bad reviews and so many complaints about it at that World Cup. We were actually barred as players. We were told no one's allowed to talk about the ball during the tournament because there were so many complaints about how bad the ball was that there was a directive from FIFA to say you cannot talk about the ball and it's not being involved at all. And I know, because I was sponsored by Adidas uh, after after the, the, the World Cup in, in, in Germany. And I know for the 2014 World Cup, they ended up developing this new ball and they got a lot, a lot of players, current and ex-players, in to try the ball, to test the ball. All the different balls in the various stages of development because they didn't want to have that same scenario. They went too far. They went to a ball that you didn't have to do much to it to, for it to, to, to be different. to You didn't have to be this extra talented player to make a ball go up and down very quickly and a free kick. It became 
a ball that was too unpredictable, too inconsistent, and everybody, generally everybody, hated it. Well, I know you could talk about balls all day long here on Two Sharp Reds, but let's move on because we've got to get to our special guest. Uh, and it is, of course, uh, the only Australian that, of course, I'm aware of, uh, but the only Australian to be playing currently in the Eredivisie, the top flights of Dutch football. And that's, of course, Aiden Hirschstick. Man, have you, how's it been? Like, you know, you, you've said that the season's finished. So it's kind yep. of like everyone's in limbo like we all are around the world. It, it must be a, a very strange situation. Also, your career is very much in front of you. You've just been involved in the national team. You kind of, you one minute you were wishing and hoping, you're looking forward to so many games. Now, all of a sudden, there's nothing set out in the future. How, how are you feeling about that? The last game I played was um, 8th of March against PSV, and I had my agent over and was speaking about the Copa America, um, the Olympics, and then the two transfer windows before, uh, before the Copa America. And then uh, I was planning it all, excited, to be honest. Um, and then, yeah, this, this turns up. Obviously, I'm, I'm devastated. I'm disappointed. Um, I don't think there'll be uh, national team football till 21, I believe, which is also disappointing. And then the question is, when's the next season going to kick off and how is it all going to happen and when and where? And God knows. It is interesting because when I was playing, it was the same. You know, you would look to the transfer window. You'd look to your next national team game. You'd look to your, yeah. your contract situation. It, yeah, like you said, it's got to be devastating. It's going to put so many players in difficult positions, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, not just players, but clubs also. Um, you know, a lot of clubs losing money, um, especially the big ones, even even the smaller size clubs. question is what's going to happen to them, you know, um, I, I look at it week by week, um, but I know that there's a few weeks to the national team window, for example. Um, I look forward to that. So then what I do is I train every week. I look forward to the game. And then I think there's two more games to go, play them good. And then it's national team, go out there, um, give it 120% and then fly back. Um, and it was the kind of rhythm I started to get used to. Um, I started to enjoy it, to be honest, quite a lot. Even though I did, uh, I remember the first time I came back, we had a meeting the next day, 9am, and uh, I, was, I was still asleep, <laughs> jet-lagged. Really? But um, yeah, the manager understood, obviously, but um, yeah, that's, that's football. And to be honest, I was enjoying it quite a lot, yeah. So from a club perspective, let's start with that. The, the Eredivisie, of course, made that really difficult decision that, you know, <laughs> there's no right or wrong answer in this situation, which is, must be the really tough bit. But from a player's perspective... Uh, I suppose I want to ask, was it one communi- communicated to you in, in a really good way or a poor way? And, and the other side of that is, did you get the desired outcome, which was to finish the season right there and then? Or would you prefer to be in a position like, like the English uh, leagues are where they're going to hope to try and finish it in, in some facet? We just don't know what that might be. Look, we, we spoke on Zoom, to be honest. Um, we've been doing a lot of uh, Zoom team meetings. Um, and the sport director, he told us basically that, um, I mean, they were talking about it and um, the Prime Minister obviously decided for the season to be um, done and dusted. You know, for me personally, it's disappointing obviously because I won't be playing football, but um, I try to look at everything positive. I'm taking a lot more time uh, for myself. I'm even, I even started to read, believe it or not. Um, the last time I read a book was, I think, when I was 15. Yep. Um, I'm training two, three times a day. Um, I've learned a new side to myself and um, I just hope when the football does kick back in that I've still got this um, 
motivation to continue. I suppose from your club's perspective, finishing ninth now, um, if you were to fast forward to have a natural end to the season, so let's say you were able to fulfil the season as per normal with crowds, would ninth be a fair reflection on your season, do you think? Or, or would you be hoping to be lower or expecting... Uh, sorry, hoping to be higher or expecting to be lower? We finished off last season also in the playoffs. So it was the top, um, the top eight where you play off for, for the Europa League. We lost to Vitesse back then. And it's been... I mean, most years at Groningen, it's just the top eight what we're playing for. So it's a Europa League spot. And we were doing quite well, I think. We've, we've had a, a stable squad. Um, just a few injuries. Are, um, for example, our left-back was missing. Um, our controlling mid was uh, out for don't know how many weeks. You can never tell what's going to happen. Um, you just take it week by week and then just go game by game. What do you think would be the best league for you? What, what do you think would suit you? Australia. <laughs> um, Spain, maybe even Germany. So do you think that what's going on with COVID-19, will that affect your summer plans? No, to be honest, I don't think so. I mean, you can. I try to look at everything positive. Some say no, but you never know what's going to happen in football. Maybe they'll think of something where there will be no transfers this summer. Let's hope not. But how big a how big a decision was it for you? I mean, it, I mean, I can imagine it must be monumental in terms of whether you play for for Bosnia or play for Australia. How long did you did you dwell on it, or was it something that came to you pretty quickly? Look, it was when I was at Schalke. I got um, two invitations for um, for Bosnia for the um, I was sixteen back then. And it was for the under-19s for Bosnia. And it was, uh, it was some kind of tournament. I can't remember which one, to be honest. But um, I remember the invite coming to the club. And then the coach pulled me aside. We had a talk. And he said, listen, do you want to go? And I just said, for now, um, my focus is the club. So I didn't make a decision yet if it's going to be Australia or Bosnia. I remember being disappointed in the under-13s or 14s when I was back in Australia, not being selected. I mean, I was on a squad list till the last day. And I remember getting cut off the last day. And I just went to my dad. I'm not going to play for Australia ever again. <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, that changed quite quick. I had a similar thing. Um, it wasn't because I was kind of, I just obviously didn't get in. But I, I feel you there. I, I won't play for Australia. Um, when you have to make a decision like that, do you feel uh, lucky or hindered that you've got more than one option? Because in a, for an argument's sake, that if me growing up, if I did decide to take it seriously, obviously I'd only have one choice to try and play for the the Australian side. Do you find it that you were in a really sort of fortunate position to be able to, to be able to sort of follow your heart in a way? Yeah, I mean, it was quite easy for me to choose for Australia. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, I, would, I did think about Bosnia when I was under 19s. Uh, it was a tournament, but I knew even if I do play for Bosnia under 19s, um, until you make your senior debut, you can change as much as you want. I didn't think about it too long, and then it was the 23s. Um, where I made my debut with Joseph in, in Spain. And then a few months later, Ange called me up um, for Socceroos. How have you found that experience with the Socceroos? Was it, was it what you expected? Was it more? Look, I was 20 when I first came in. Um, I think I played only about 10 professional games in Holland. Uh, so it was a bit up and down for me. And I, I remember Timmy, uh, Timmy coming up to me and he was the first one who came up to me, hugged me and said, listen, feel at home. You know, enjoy yourself, play like, you, like you're playing in a park. Um, and that made me really feel just stable and comfortable. And then I just knew from then, um, 
like right good decision um, I don't regret it at all and then obviously it did take a bit like to get used to it it's different I mean it's a step higher obviously than than the Dutch um, Eredivisie but um, you know I like challenges so um, I did look forward to it and I woke up every day looking forward to the next training session one thing that he he touched on there Mark which I found quite interesting it was something that I hadn't been given much of a thought because from a, a fan's perspective and someone just working you know, within within the, uh, the the sport but obviously not directly you know within a team is I just want it back. Right? I just want football back in any scenario. But from an individual's perspective, you know, if you're a player, I, I just didn't think about things like transfers and how this might, you, you might be, you know, we, we heard last week... Um, uh, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank talking about you know the the little minute changes that might happen in in cancelling a move to a big player like Barcelona, and I just wonder you know what Aiden was saying there about how, geez, everyone might be really affected with a big move. Yeah, absolutely. It does change a lot. There's a lot of players that are out of contract in the summer. Yes, of course, the big name players, whether it's a Pedro or a William, for example, from Chelsea, they will get a club. For me, there's no doubt. But I would think that there will be a few of their clubs that maybe had the idea of trying to offer them a contract or had offered them a contract, maybe withdrawing it because of the circumstances, how everything has dramatically changed. For a lot of lesser-named players, it's going to be a big struggle. It's going to be so tough. I think a lot of clubs are going to have to really tighten the purse strings. They're not able to go out there and, and, and have a, a, a big enough squad. And a lot of players are going to find it really tough. Um, and, and clubs, everyone's going to find it very, very tough. I think everything is going to change dramatically. Well, that's all the time I've got for you on the latest episode of the Two Sharp Reds, Mark. Are you, are you finally at my level now where you get a bit like, oh, oh is that it for another week? And yeah, the, you know, I thought that we were on a bit of a roll today, you know. You, you, you yeah. press the right buttons again, you know. I got, I got a little bit passionate, a little bit excited. Um, got a bit, got a bit uh, um, passionate, like I said before, passionate about uh, various subjects, particularly about playing in Australia, playing on pitches that were played by other codes the day before. Um, purely money decisions, financial decisions, rather than what's good for the team. And that's a great thing. Are you as passionate about the subjects as you are with the wine that you've had. Of course, we're trying different wines today, uh, which makes it very difficult. And this is also uh, what I've been looking forward to. It's, of course, comparing the bottle of wine to a player. But, of course, this time we don't share the same flavours and smells. So, in fact, it actually might be a good thing because I always get a little bit worried that I'm going to suggest a player and you're going to go, mate, it doesn't taste at all like that. Uh, yeah, it does happen like that. And, and I think the good thing about it is that we have got two different bottles of wine. We can truly reflect and come up with, I mean, okay, we can't compare directly and you can't say, you can't compare the different types of tastes that we have with the same bottle of wine, of course. However, I think for, for the listener, it gives them an opportunity, you know, to, to ta- have, have an opinion on two bottles of wine, two different types of wine. And I've just read here as well. This says at the top of it, the very top of the description of this red wine, it says, Welcome to the House of Fun. And I mean, that's just, that must open a world of possibilities for you then. It certainly does. It does, uh, it does capture the imagination that little bit more now. Um, and I, I mean, I, I just, everything about this I really like. Um, I, I love the label, the fact that it's got MS on it. Is, is pretty pretty cool that I've only just realised it afterwards. It's a 2018 Shiraz Malbec, which 
I generally wouldn't necessarily choose, or we've had this discussion many times before. However, I, I like it. I, I really, really like it. And it does, it is lip smackingly good. Well, I love it, mate. Um, I'll get things underway with who my 19 Crimes bottle of Shiraz uh, reminds me of and tastes like. Uh, it's a simple one for mine this time around. Of course, the 19 Crimes is based on um, uh, people that have, uh, criminals that have done things wrong in England and were sent uh, to Port Arthur and sent to Australia. So it's the definition of the bad boy wine. That's that's what I'm getting for, uh, getting at here, Mark. This is this really is um, uh, bad boy in a bottle, um, and it it also does say that this wine honours the history that they wrote and the culture that they built. And uh, a man came in the media this week that I haven't heard in some time, and shed a little bit of light as to what happened in 2006, uh, and that's what Matarazzi said to Zidane to provoke the headbutt. The ultimate bad boy, in my opinion. And of course, last week I compared my wine to Zidane. So I feel like it's only fitting to be able to compare this bottle of red to Matarazzi. Of course, he did say to Zidane, after the third cl- clash, I frowned at him and he retorted, I'll give you my shirt later. I, repri- I replied, I'd rather have his sister than his shirt. And if that doesn't so- sum up at least one of the 19 crimes, it's got to be even more of them. Absolutely. That's, that's brilliant. That, that is very, very good. I like that. Um, I did see that quote from Maserati and I, I did have a chuckle to myself. Um, there were a lot, a lot of uh, rooms about what he did say to Zan uh, after, after the sending off, uh, but it's nice to actually hear from the man himself. And you know what? Job done. They're World Absolutely. Cup, you know, World Cup winners and, and Zidane being sent off, more than likely, definitely, yeah, Turn it in their favour. So, with that in mind, um, I, I, you know, there's a whole number of things. You know, lip smackingly good. Even though this is a South African wine, that just reminds me of an Australian kind of term that someone may say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's I don't know, maybe, maybe not. It's just you know, it's just pretty amazing. Teases your senses. Um, this player certainly did that. House of Fun is probably as a footballer. He probably wasn't the house of fun, but he definitely teased your senses. And when you look at on the back of here, giving the description, it also says that, um, like I said, teases your senses, yet elegant and refined. As a footballer, he was definitely elegant. And he was refined as a footballer. And he was arguably the greatest player that Australia's ever produced. And, you know, teasing your senses... Got your mind mind rushing with excitement, with with joy, and mesmerised by his ability on the football pitch, particularly in his earlier days. Um, but I had the, I had the pleasure of playing with him numerous times with the national team, and he was a, a vitally important player, and he was part of that golden generation. Truly, I think was one of he was the post one of the poster boys of that golden generation, um, and still high, held in high regard within the football world. And that's none other than Harry Kuehl. Yep. I saw that coming. Uh, I just want to know how he tantalises your senses, that's all. Or teases your senses. Well, teases, um, you know, just because, in fact, if you're a purist, if you're a footballing fan, if you love the game, you love the the elegance of a game, the movement, the ability to run with the ball and take on an opponent at such high speeds and do it so elegantly in, in the process, I think that, that, that does 
mess with you a little bit. That does actually tingle, give you a little bit of a tingle, give you joy, excitement. Hey, Mark, thanks for another great episode of the Two Shot Reds. It was very enjoyable. Of course, thank you to Aiden uh, as well, and thank you to Optus, and thank you to 19 Crimes, and your wine as well. Cheers, Mark, and we'll see you the exact same time, same place. Cheers, mate. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 